African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us for another interactive show here on African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us on our frequency, 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa, DSTV Channel 802 on the audio book, and www.channelafrica.co.za. And uh, that is if you're listening to us on our website. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. We'll be with, but today we're looking at this issue of uh, uh, social investment. What does it actually mean? How does it fit into society? Is enough done in this uh, particular space in philanthropy that actually uh, makes a difference in communities. Well, we're talking about this because the serious social investing conference was uh, uh, taking place uh, just yesterday. Uh, it's a gathering that took place really to delve into the issue of how social investment can make a difference in society with the fresh angle of looking at how uh, the digital space can actually make sure that uh, uh, information technology is invested into to deal with with uh, uh, social challenges. The conference, which has uh, involved 20 young speakers, also looks at how corporate philanthropy can be useful in uh, the challenges of the continent's social and economic space. What also makes this a difference is that fact that uh, 20 young speakers were involved, millennials were central uh, to this conversation. Well, joining us on the line now, we've got Nikki Griffiths, who is the COO of uh, Tsikulolo Social Investments, and also we've got Alan van der Mullen, who is a founder of Zilto. He'll tell us a little bit about that. He's a social entrepreneur who was also part of the gatherings. Nikki, thank you for giving us your time. Hi, good morning, Benjamin. Now, tell us a little bit about this particular conference in itself. I know uh, Tikululu Social Investment is very central to uh, this uh, gathering, which takes place. I think it's the eighth one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and you know, we've been running a conference for a number of years now, um, and we thought long and hard about this year, and the reason that we centered um, that all the speakers were millennials was really, you know, this to get the view of what young people are thinking about social issues and what they're doing about social issues. And so we had a wide variety of, of young speakers, and it was just... You know, you know, often people get stuck in their ways and you listen to the same voices. And this was really sure. an opportunity to see who are the new voices and, and what do they think about the social challenges that we're facing as society and for them to challenge people that are investing in society. Are, you know, mm. are, are the issues that, that um, are raised important or are there different views? Well, let's unpack this issue of social investment. What are we talking about when we're referring to this term? So social investment is any money where the primary intent, one of the primary intents of the money is to have a social change. So it's a very broad, very broad definition. It can include bursaries and scholarships. It can include CSI, impact investing. The main link between the types of funding is that the intent has to have a social impact. It's mm. not a, a financial, you know, a financial return. There has to be a social return attached to the to the funding. 
Let's bring in Alan, who is one of the young millennials who was speaking at this year's mm. uh, Serious Social Investing Conference, who started his own uh, uh, real social initiative titled Zilto. Uh, thank you, Alan, uh, for giving us your time. Alan, tell us a little bit about Zilto. I'm sure that our listeners uh, want to know what kind of uh, social entrepreneur you are. Well, um, with Zlato, we, we sort of look at what are the problems in our community, especially that young people are facing, and a lot of them are unemployed, and we need to get mm-hmm. down to the reason that they're unemployed. A lot of them don't have work experience or they can't afford to get a job. Sure. I mean, it's expensive to have to travel to an interview. You know, you need to have a shirt for the interview. You need to have your hair done a certain way. And it's actually sometimes cheaper to just remain unemployed than pursue work. And a lot of the times when... When you give someone an opportunity, they'll come up with a lot of excuses. We then thought of Zlato as a way for them to, for us to eliminate the excuses. So if someone says, I don't have a shirt, we say, if you volunteer somewhere, you can earn Zlato, which is a type of point system that we use, and then go out and purchase your shirt so that you can actually look fresh for the interview. So that's what we were trying to do, just to ensure that young people have no more excuses when pursuing mm. these work opportunities. So is this like a, a mobile app? Uh, tell us a little bit about how the actual process works uh, with Zilto. It's very interesting what you're highlighting. So you're saying people can volunteer in hospitals or maybe volunteer in their communities, and in that they get points yeah. actually to empower themselves. But is it an app that you yes. work with? On what platform do you work with? So, so currently it's a, it's a mobile um, web website, so they can just go on to m.zlto.co and they can access the platform, they can just register, you know, just create an account, and then they can decide whether they want to volunteer. So if they volunteer, like the example you mentioned at an old age home, they can actually just tell us about it via the website. So they might say, look, I've been at this old age home, this is my task, I was peeling potatoes, I was assisting the seniors for about four hours and there were 20 people involved. They take a couple of pictures. We then contact the references to validate whether or not they were there, and then we allocate Zlato accordingly. That's so very that's, sure. That's, that's, that's the process. That's very interesting. And from your perspective, in terms of being a young person, also, I'm sure that you're also trying to build this particular platform that you've created, Alan. How do you get uh, uh, the money to actually invest in others? So what? What we were experimenting with, we have a couple of partners that have come on board. Okay. For example, ShopRite would then say, we wanted to give 100 loaves of bread or 100 liters of milk towards this initiative. And then that's something that really worked out well. These, or these products that we were getting from people on CSI or CSR initiatives. So that has been one way that we were able to sustain the, the program. Another way is we actually, you know, like a hybrid model. So we have these, a way that we make money as well. So we didn't have customers that would then pay us to render the service for their communities. So another, for example, organization wanted to incentivize their community, we would then charge them like a type of admin fee, you know, to sort of just run everything for them, just so we can get some mm. money in and then plow back into the products that we need. A fantastic idea, Alan. And coming back to you, Nikki, I think that uh, Alan is a great example of how you can actually uh, have that kind of social entrepreneurship that really aligns itself to the needs of the society. And maybe that's what's great about millennials is that they seem to be kind of aware of the challenges in their own communities. And it leads me to my next question on how do we actually make sure that we have more of the Alans in the issue or in the area of social 
social investment where we make sure that social investment is not just a, a random philanthropic adventure which may not align itself with the needs of the society. You know, Benjamin, that is one of the, the great insights from yesterday was, you know, with millennials that they are coming up with their own solution. Um, and I say there because I'm not a millennial. I felt not <laughs> old yesterday. Sure, don't worry. You're not alone, Nikki. I'm also aging. I don't think I can also call myself a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, you know, taking Alan for example, I mean, what's fantastic is he comes from the very community that he's crafting a solution for. And there's no match for that type of insight and knowledge and commitment. And, you know, we really need to be creating more platforms where we're able to hear people's voices about what they're doing in their particular communities. Because, you know, in South Africa, there's a lot of people doing great work and there's a lot of um, funders that are looking for great work. I mean, you know, there's a lot of social investment money that sometimes it's hard to access. Um, and and so, you know, I think this, we've got to create platforms where we can understand what's happening and connecting um, connecting people with ideas. And, mm. and, you know, yesterday there was what was great is that it was a complete mix of people. It wasn't just entrepreneurs. It was social entrepreneurs, journalists, um, you know, all the millennial voices around, you know, because the, the social issues cut across all industries. Sure. Um, and how are we going to, you know, use our positions either in our communities or in our particular industries to tackle these social issues? And it brings me back to that uh, particular question. And let me come back to you, Alan, because uh, me and uh, Nikki are not uh, millennials in any way. And, it's you know, millennials are a very interesting uh, group in the fact that uh, they see themselves as social changers. It's just how you think uh, people get out of high school and they already see themselves as a CEO. That's just how you guys are wired in terms of yeah. just the, the gap in which you guys were raised in and just how you guys have been socialized. From your perspective, what got you into this issue of being, okay, I'm going to actually make a difference. I'm actually not going to be just a bystander in the environment of poverty that I find myself with. I actually see the challenges that other young people in my community or in the country actually are facing. Uh, I'm going to be part of this. What got you into a place where you say, I'm going to actually be a solution to the problem? Oh, Benjamin, to be, to be honest, when you, when you live in a community such as I live, just for reference, I live in um, Cape Flats, Mitchell Plain. So you walk, you, you cannot walk to school or you cannot walk to work without seeing a guy on the corner or some guy asking for money or people selling drugs or doing whatever. So now it's like, I can wait for the police you know, to come and do something. I can wait for the government to come and do something. But they have other priorities. You know, there's a lot of things on their list. And if I am here now, then I understand the problem and I should be the one to do something. I don't want to have the same conversation next week about, oh, we're waiting for someone to come and do something. It, do- it doesn't make any sense. If you have the capability and you see the problem and you don't do something about it, then you're more at fault than those who are currently involved, you know. We don't, there's no time to turn a blind eye. Mm. I don't want to... I, I know too much people that are 50 years old and complaining about how they never had opportunities in their younger days, you know, mm. or how things didn't go their way. So I refuse to have our generation have that conversation when they grow up. I refuse to have a lot of young people complaining about the jobs that they have. I refuse to have them living in poverty 50 years later. So I need to do something about that now, at the very least, just to give them a chance to think differently. Mm. 
It's easy having that idea initially, um, um, Alan. It's easy actually having that inspiration at the beginning and having that kind of ambition that you do have. But I'm sure starting something like this, you had to get other people to believe in the concept and the vision that you had. And I'm sure beginning it was a bit of a challenge. Take us through uh, your starting point with this uh, uh, initiative that you started. So one of the one of the most difficult things we're trying to get these vendors on board, you know, having them give us free products in the meantime because obviously we didn't have a lot of money to pay for them. Sure. So it was like getting them to understand that you not you might not be getting any money, but you allowing someone to become a positive person. And it was very really difficult because at the time it was just an experiment. There might not have been a lot of results, but mm-hmm. luckily we were working with with our labs and they had these places called um, youth cafes. And mm-hmm. maybe we had a chance to really validate if this type of system would work. And we then found that these young people would come to class every day and they are willing to sacrifice or just sacrifice their time and attend the workshop so they can earn this, this level. And then once we started proving to people that the amount of good work that people would do, it's, they're, they're actually willing to do it. You know, they're not, sure. They don't want to be at home if there's something that can incentivize them. And then the conversations became a bit easier. And then we had a... I, I was fortunate enough to do a lot of preaching in last year, attending a couple mm-hmm. of events and doing talks. And now it's become a bit easier to have these conversations with people. But at the beginning, it's just getting them to understand that, like, like we mentioned, it might not, you might not get a monetary reward, but the community will change. You are going to grow the future. So just getting people to believe in the concept of, of social entrepreneurship instead of how much returns are you going to give us. You know, that is the most challenging thing. But luckily, the network that I have, um, the mentorship that I have, mm. they, are, they are well connected and also just very encouraging, you know. So mm. I can have these tough conversations with people. But generally, once they see the impact that we have made or the impact that has been made in the lives of these people that are using, so the conversation becomes much easier. Very interesting. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to come back to you, Nikki, in terms of really unpacking what we're talking about here with social investment. How do we make sure that uh, young people such as um, Alan are actually being embraced and being supported? Is private uh, corporates actually taking initiatives and also being part of this movement, especially that we are seeing from millennials who are engaging with their societies? You are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us right here on uh, the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern africa i'm sure you know it by now as we announce it and uh, every morning uh, but you can also join us on dstv in south africa and neighboring countries on channel 802 on the audio bouquet and uh, you can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za exciting conversation we're having today almost related to the conversation we had last week at uh, the africa shared value summit and uh, uh, corporates really aligning themselves to social needs. Very interesting trend to see where also business is going. We'll deal with those subject matters uh, with Nikki and Alan after we come back. Uh, uh, There's a break just now. If you're interested in a real-life story of friendship, then join Channel Africa for a book reading of 65 Years of Friendship, written by George Bezos about his relationship with African icon Nelson Mandela. 
from Monday to Thursday at 2200 Central African Time and during the weekend on Saturday and Sunday at 800 hours Central African Time. Join us for 65 Years of Friendship, a real-life drama. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where you get the African perspectives, African dialogue. We come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. We're looking at the serious social investing conference, which was taking place yesterday, which included millenniums, really to look at uh, the issue of how you can have social investments uh, initiatives that actually can make a difference in society. And Nikki, it's very interesting that uh, uh, this is actually at a time whereby we are seeing a lot of the corporates and the private sector aligning themselves with the needs of society, maybe not in such a large scale, but the conversation is definitely taking place whereby even last week we were at the Africa Value uh, Summit, Shared Value Summit rather, and they were speaking around how uh, corporates can actually... uh, package their products in order to have actually a social gain. It seems like corporates are actually aligning themselves with social needs, but still there needs to be more uh, that has to be done in this regard. Yeah, I mean, you know, South Africa is a very interesting country if you look at our legislation, and the BE legislation is very transformative, and it's unlocked a lot of money that might not necessarily have been spent. Um, and if you look, you know, at the BE codes, there's three particular pillars that are very orientated towards social investment. And there's the traditional SED, socio-economic development, which is CSI, and then there's the enterprise development where companies actually have to invest in black-owned businesses and not and black-owned businesses that are also, um, you know, and integrating them into their supply chain. And then there's also a component of the BE scorecard which is about ownership trusts that have a particular social mandate and that whatever dividends they earn need to be spent on social impact. And so that context comes from a a particular context that business in South Africa operates in, but the opportunities for that additional capital are really exciting. Um, I think where there does need to be some more work is bridging the gap between, say, entrepreneurs or organizations on the ground and how they access that type of funding um, and how, you know, with corporates, a lot of that funding, it has a compliance component to it, um, Mm. which sometimes doesn't always suit a startup or an organization that's, um, you know, been run by really committed community members but not, not have been um, registered with the Department of Social Development or with SARS. And so there is some work that we need to think about. How do we match investors with the, the change agents? Sure. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy if it's people that are already developed and yeah. are registered and know what it's like you know, to have audited financial statements. But sometimes that's not where the most exciting ideas come from. Um, and so you know, that's something I think is real opportunity in South Africa because there is the social investment funding and there are the committed people. But there is definitely a gap between how the funding reaches the right people and in the same way how um, companies are able to meet their own compliance requirements. And how do you actually bridge that particular gap, Nikki? 
So, I mean, for us at Chikiluru, that's what we do for clients. Um, we have a number of clients where they give us their social investment funding, and we, we do both. Um, you know, the compliance element of this type of funding is high because it often sits on the BE scorecard or it's tax-exempt, which means that it has to be accounted for because SARS wants to know what you're doing with tax-exempt money, rightly so. Um, and so this type of social investment comes both with a compliance element and then with a strategic element, finding the right social investments to make so that um, the social investor can see impact and the people getting money are able to do what they need to do. Um, and sometimes there is a clash of worlds. Uh, you know, corporates operate on a, a business cycle, which is usually 12 months. They're used to seeing results in 12 months. And everybody in development knows that you don't see results in, 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 in a year, you know. Um, it's a much longer cycle, and you need social investors that are willing to be there for a much longer period than just the financial cycle. Mm. Um, and so it's it's trying to bridge those two worlds um, mm. because they're both, you know, often a social investor and, and a social entrepreneur or, mm. or an organization have the same um, goals, uh, social development goals, but ha- operate in different contexts mm. with different stakeholders. Sure. Alan, let me come back to you because that's very interesting what Nick is highlighting, the fact that it's very difficult to really have that uh, perfect partnership between you as the original idea creator and also making sure that you're aligning yourself with corporates that uh, really are going to streamline themselves to your vision. Was that a challenge for you? Yes, no, that that was a challenge, especially because I don't know a lot of the the rules and legislation around around that. Mm. So it's like I wouldn't just go out and do cold emailing, you know, just try to message someone and say, this is what I'm working on, what do you guys think about this? And to be honest, I'd be, I'd get a lot of blank replies, no, no, this is cool, but we, we, we already now financial year has already begun. If you were just a few months earlier, we might have considered it. Or people would be like, no, thanks, this is cool, but not really for us. Mm. You know, so it's really And you kept going, Ellen? Um, Even after those no, rejections? Going, yeah, after that, you just sort of try to understand why and uh, move on to the next person. There's no opportunity to stop, you know. Yeah. But it's like, I always felt if I could just have a conversation with them or just get in a room with these people, then it would be very different, you know. But even just trying to set up a meeting or just trying to get in contact with the right people, it's, it's very difficult if you are not someone, I feel, that has any connections with the corporate field. So that that is very challenging. And uh, just staying with you, Alan, on, on this idea of uh, when did you start seeing yourself aligning yourself with the right people? So uh, we were we were lucky enough to um, access some money from the, the Mastercard Foundation. They were trying to do a financial inclusion project, and Zlato seemed to fit the ball. And then. Once, once they came on board, it was easier to approach, you know, the next guy. Mm. So then we had talks with, with, with ShopRite within last year, uh, early last year, and they then came on board, you know. Mm. But at the moment, those are like two of our very strong partners. A lot of the people, a lot of the vendors that we have on site are still people that we either have to pay or don't have an official partnership with, just sort of a transactional type of partnership. But once, once we started to tap into a lot of the, the partners that our labs has, it became much easier because it's a type of recommendation, you know. Mm. When, when someone recommends you and says, oh, listen to what these guys are doing, mm. 
just check them out. And then that conversation will start a lot better than you approaching them. Mm. You know, Nikki, it's very inspiring to hear the story of uh, Alan, uh, but I want to touch on that other issue that you highlighted on in the fact that sometimes when we do have these social investment programs, we sometimes want a quick fix and we don't think of the long-term ambitions. Mm. How do we curb that particular uh, bottleneck? You know, I think it... I mean, uh, I'd, I think anyone that's involved in social investment has to really care about it and take the time to understand the context in which they're operating in and to understand the context in which people who are applying for funding are operating in. Um, because it's, it's a very nuanced environment and it changes. Um, you know, fees must fall was, is something that changed all our landscape quite dramatically. Mm. And, and I think, you know, whatever, on the social investment side, you need to always be, um, be willing to understand what's happening and change your approach so that you, you remain relevant. And, you know, I think anyone that's worked in the space knows that there are no quick wins um, and that, you know, the social issues that, that everyone feels very passionately about are systemic and they're long-term and are going to take every... You know, every stakeholder in society, not just social investors or social entrepreneurs, but mm-hmm. actually every member of society in whatever position you're sitting in needs to think hard about things like education. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had Professor Nick Spall yesterday presenting on literacy levels sure. and saying that only 22% of grade four learners in South Africa can read for meaning. Wow. And, and that is something that affects all of us, not just social investors, not teachers, not social entrepreneurs. That's a societal issue. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's being understanding your context and then your particular role in society, how you can make that change. Um, so I think it's a much broader question about how we all interact with society. And because the the social challenges sometimes are almost uh, not almost always kind of given as a burden mm. to government are we seeing the right synergies we can talk about uh, social entrepreneurs and the private uh, sector having uh, partnerships but are we seeing the synergies between government and the private sector to deal with these social conditions or do you think there's still that gap between those uh, two uh, various different spaces Look, there are a number of initiatives where the private sector is working with um, with the government. The recently launched Yes initiative around um, getting young people into employment is a, a public-private partnership. The National Education Collaboration Trust is also a structured partnership between the private sector and government to address um, challenges in basic education. So there are definitely examples of collaboration around particular issues um, that are happening. Um, and it's not necessary, I mean, we use a very big word, corporate, and, you, you know, business, all businesses are different. Sure. Um, so, um, but there are definitely very engaged members of the private sector that are working with government at whatever level uh, to tackle these issues. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to wrap it up after the break. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're speaking to Nikki Griffiths, who's the COO of Tsiku Lulu Social Investment, and Alan van der Mullen, a young millennial who started a uh, social enterprise titled Zilto, and uh, it's an incentive uh, uh, kind of uh, incentive. It gives people 
volunteers, young volunteers in the community, incentive for volunteering in their community. So it's very interesting to see what's happening in the social investment space. We'll wrap it up after uh, this. And I, I want to ask around the opportunities uh, because we have been looking at some of the challenges. We know that social ills, they're not just sometimes just things that we can just bemoan about or be negative about. Sometimes they offer an open opportunities for society themselves as we've seen what Alan has done. Let's take a quick break and we'll look at the opportunities after this. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us. It's 33 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama, having a fantastic conversation with Nikki Griffiths, uh, CEO of Tsikololo, a social investment, Alan van der Mullen, founder of Zilto. And uh, just as we wrap it up, um, uh, Nikki, in South Africa, it's almost day in and day out. We're almost confronted by the social ills that we're seeing, the issue of uh, the deepening poverty uh, that we're seeing in our society. But uh, we need more courageous people such as Alan who don't only just see the woefulness in those conditions but also see opportunity. It's not a very easy way of thinking, definitely, but definitely there are opportunities in some of the challenges in society. Yeah, and I mean, Benjamin, yesterday it was really inspiring to hear how many uh, millennials are thinking about social issues and how many are really involved. And I mean, Alan hit the nail on the head is that we can't wait for government. You know, this is our, our society. These are our communities. These are our places of work. Um, and that, you know, and, and the challenges we face are really, really big. Um, and so I think to your point, unless you know, each of us in our own way is going to have to pick something where we can make a difference um, and we can't be waiting for, for the private sector or for the state to solve, solve the issues. And uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Alan, in terms of a society actually engaging uh, with the challenges in a more positive light? No, I, I believe that with all, all problems that we have all, are always going to be opportunities. And society, the communities, need to start thinking like that because you can become very despondent when all you see you know, is this crime or this poverty. But if you have the mindset of, oh, I can do something about this, I can change the situation, and I can actually make a bit of money from it, and then that will take the next generation or allow them to start thinking like that. So instead of having these thoughts of poverty and, yo, I'm so sad and people need to look out for me, the younger generation, the next generation growing up will be like, we can do this. We don't need anyone. They can become independent instead of being dependent on these handouts that they might be getting currently. So the community needs to engage with as much opportunities as, pos- as possible in order for the, the country to actually get where it needs to go. And Alan, I'm sure right now with... Uh you advancing with this particular platform that you've created, you're asking yourself questions, how can I take this uh, to the next level? What are your thoughts on how you can actually um, upgrade some of the work that you're doing and maybe even expand it? 
Oh, we are looking at trying to partner with a lot more with organizations or people in corporate. It doesn't matter as long as there's some type of presence in a lot of the areas. We are trying to branch out into South Africa. We're trying to go even beyond the borders where everyone needs it. But at the moment, it's just good partners, a strong network, and people that want to contribute. You know, that's that's what we now. We just need to make more partnerships and just get the message out of this type of initiatives. It doesn't even have to be just Zlato. I'm sure other people have their own type of incentive-based initiative. As long as people start thinking that we can't accept it and want to partner, we're willing to partner with them. Well, uh, let's wrap it up with you, Nikki. I know Tikilulu works in the social investment space. And uh, your plans in terms of strengthening social investment uh, through your work? Well, I mean, we believe that social investment is needs to have a most professional approach and that the work is too important to be mediocre about it. Um, and so it's really attracting the right level of skills to the sector um, so that we're able to to work with social investors and work with people that are, are unlocking social change um, in a way that's meaningful. Um, so that's, you know, for us it's, and South Africa's a wonderful country to do it in because, you know, almost every new media wants to make a difference. Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much, guys, for giving us your time. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. This has been a very, very enlightening conversation, very educational conversation indeed. And I hope all the millennials on the continent are thinking, and I'm sure they know that they're on the right path because I know this is not just a South African dynamic. There are a whole lot of young people all across the continent doing fantastic things to deal with the challenges in their own communities. Thank you to Alan van der Mulen, founder of Zilt. Thank you to Nikki Griffiths, CEO of Tsukululu Social Investments. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Benjamin. Fantastic. That takes us uh, to 11.39 Central African time. What are your thoughts around millennials, their role in terms of how they engage in their communities? How do they make a difference? Remember, you can interact with us on our various platforms. Become part of the Channel Africa family. We've got two Twitter handles, one for this program and also one for uh, Channel Africa. You can go to the handle at Channel Africa 1. It's the numeric one, the number one at the end, at Channel Africa 1, or you can visit us at African Dialogue. Let's hear some music before we get our business news. This is Sina by Salif Keita. And remember, after our business news, we'll get our sport.
Sinado 